The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Welcome to those who are joining us online. Glad to have you joining us and those outside. I hope it's not too cold. Looks like the sun's coming out, so it should be warming up a little bit out there. Excellent. Well, this morning, uh, I'm kind of formally concluding our vision series. We've been journeying through for the last few weeks, looking at the theme for our next ministry, which is faithful, uh, looking at what that means and what that looks like for us as a church for the next 12 months. Um, uh, the speakers in October, including Tanya next week, will, will be focusing mostly um, or loosely around the, the idea of faithfulness. However they come at it, they'll decide what that might look like. But this will be kind of the last vision-specific series that I wanted to speak on. And this morning, I want to speak on the, the topic, if you're taking notes, of being faithful to the end. Being faithful to the end. Uh, and just looking at God's call on his people to persevere. So let me pray, and we'll jump into it. Father, I want to thank you uh, that we are not alone in this journey of following Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers us, that encourages us, that inspires us, that leads us into all truth. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and be present among us in a real way as we come around your word, that you will open our eyes and open our heart to receive all that you have for us this morning and that you would find in us ready and willing hearts, eager to yield to you, to surrender to you. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus and manifest your presence, make your presence real and known to us and help me as I communicate your word to do that faithfully for your namesake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this idea of remaining faithful to the end was very much on the heart and the mind of, of God's apostles. Uh, when you read through the New Testament, you see that often they will be warning the churches against heresy, against sexual immorality, against drifting away from the truths of the gospel. Uh, time and time again, they, they, they are warning and calling on the church to remain faithful. Um, just some passages, uh, if you're interested in looking at this, in Galatians chapter 1 is that famous passage where, where Paul is calling on the, on the Galatian church not to forsake the gospel, not to go into false teachings and abandon uh, the, the, the centrality of Christ and his saving work in their life. Um, and then in Colossians chapter 1 and 2 is Paul's statement about his own mission and his gospel commitment to see these Christians on the day of Christ mature and complete. And he says, I strive and I strain towards this end. And he warns them against believing wrong philosophies and getting taken up with uh, doctrines of works and, and, and sacred days and festivals. And he's saying, stay true to Jesus. And obviously the book of Hebrews throughout is this call for Christians to remain faithful to Jesus and not to go back to Judaism. And then uh, we see in 2 John, the Apostle John there, in 2 John and 3 John, is, is calling on the, on the church that he's writing to, to remain faithful to Jesus, to, to not give up, to not tolerate false teachings. And he's saying that antichrists have gone out from the church, people who used to be believers, people who used to be committed to following Christ, that are no longer following Christ. 
And you, you sense when you read those letters, his broken heart that some of these people that he knew and he loved are no longer following Jesus. And so we see time and time again this pastoral heart among the apostles to not just see Christians begin well, but to remain faithful to Jesus right to the end. And so in setting the context of, of what we want to look at this morning, I want, to, I want to share with you a promise that is in Scripture. And that's found in Jeremiah 29. Now you're probably thinking, oh, if I know the plans I have for you. No, that's not that one. It's the one that comes immediately after that, which is this incredible promise that God says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. What an incredible promise that is. And he goes on, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And so I want to encourage you as we think about faithfulness for this year, let this promise be the anchor let this promise be the foundation that if we seek God with our whole heart, He will be found by us. He's not mysterious. He's not running away from us. He's not wanting to be hidden. He's not wanting to frustrate us. But if we draw near to Him, if we come and we seek Him, He will make Himself known to us. He will make Himself real to us. And this is such an incredible promise that we have to anchor us as we head into this ministry year. So this morning, uh, I want to do a case study. If you read the, uh, the, the Old Testament book of uh, First and Second Chronicles, you have this incredible, sad, often um, uh, account of these various kings in Israel's history. And there were those who started off well but didn't finish well, those who you know, were, were terrible all the way through their whole reign. And then there are a few instances of incredible godly leaders that led Israel faithfully. And so I want to pick up one of their stories and do a kind of a case study, and that is on the king, of Asa, king called Asa, or Asa, however you want to say his name. Um, and his story is recorded in 2 Chronicles chapters 14 to 16. And we're going to uh, spend some time looking at his story as an encouragement to us to think about uh, what it means for us to remain faithful to the end. So I've asked a couple of people to come and read um, different parts of this passage. We're not going to read all three chapters. They're not very long. Uh, so I'm going to invite uh, Matt and Elizabeth and Lizzie to come up as they read different passages to us. Now, who had chapter 14? That's it. Yeah. morning. And Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. And the days of country was at peace for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places and smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and census altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace unto him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah. Since the land was at peace, no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them, with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. 
Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and three hundred chariots and came as far as Mesorah. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephyrath near Mesorath. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are a God. Do not let these mere mortals prevail against you. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asher and Judah, and the Cushites fled. Okay, so this is from Second Chronicles, chapter 15, verses 1 to 19. The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and, and the people of Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon who had settled among them, for large numbers had come over him, over to him from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with him. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. At that time they sacrificed to the Lord seven hundred head of cattle and seven thousand sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death, whether the small or great, man or woman. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. And all Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. King Asa also deposed his grandmother, Marka, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down, broke it up, and burnt it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Chapter 
In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. At the time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. Thank you, all the readers. Uh, it was a great way to cover three chapters of two chronicles. The, the, a great picture that maybe summarizes Asa's life is this one. It's, he was so close. He was so close, but he didn't remain faithful to the end. It's almost like just when the end, the finish line, was within his grasp, it seems like Asa came undone. And I think it's just really sad. And we see this time and time again in the book of Chronicles, where kings who who start off really well for a variety of different reasons just don't seem to finish well. And so I wanted us to think about you know, being faithful to the end. And there's a lot of good things that we can glean from, from Asa's life. I mean, the, the, the Bible tells us over and over again that Asa was fully committed to the Lord. Uh, you know, chapter 15, verse 15, it, it explicitly says that, that all Judah uh, rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them, so the Lord God gave them rest. In verse 17, speaking more specifically about Asa, it says, although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. And the thing about that is it wasn't just something that Asa just said out loud, I'm, I'm fully committed to God. He actually did specific things. And these are some of the things that are recorded in chapters 14 to 16. He did what was good and right. 14.2 says that. He called others. He called those in Judah to come and seek the Lord with him. 14.4 says that. He removed pagan altars and symbols and idols. 14.3.5.15.8b says that. He relied on the Lord with the Cushite army. We read that in the face of all 
overwhelming circumstances, 14, 18, 8 to 11. He restored the altar and sacrifices. We're told that they had these incredible worship moments where they sacrificed all these animals to God. He renewed the covenant, 15, 12 tells us that. And he took extreme action against sin and compromise. Um, Verse 13 of chapter 15 says that all who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death with the small or great man or woman. That's radical obedience to God. Radical obedience to God. And we're told that he even deposed his, his grandmother, uh, Marka, from her position as queen mother. Now, we might read that and go, oh, that's not a big deal. That was a huge deal in the time because that position had a lot of power and influence. And Asa had the courage to go up and do something that would have been incredibly unpopular because he had a heart that was fully committed to God. And the Bible tells us that, as Jeremiah 29 reminded us, and we're told over and over again in this passage, that because Asa's heart was wholly devoted to God and committed to God, God met him. He found God in lots of different ways during this time of his life. Again, the Bible tells us, the different ways that God met Asa. God gave him peace and rest, it says in 14, 5 to 6. God blessed his work. It says that they built and they prospered. They were able to do all these capital work projects in the country because they were at peace, because God was with them. God gave him victory. 14, 12 to 15 tells us that, that as he faces incredible army that was much bigger than their army, God met them and gave them deliverance and victory. And it says that God gave him prophetic encouragement. We read that in chapter 15 where the Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded, and he came and encouraged um, King Asa. And it says that because of this word, it gave courage to Asa to continue with more and more reforms. He, he took courage, it says in verse 8, to keep doing the things that he believed was right for him to do. So God met him through prophetic encouragement. God assured him of his presence as, as the, the prophet said, that those who seek him will be found by you. And this idea that if you're for God, then God is for you and you would know his presence. And so we see that as Asa's heart was fully committed to God and he sought to do the right thing, restore worship, renew the covenant, deal with idolatry, deal with sin in extreme ways with radical obedience to God's covenant, God met him time and time again. The third lesson that we can get from this case study is that Asa's faithfulness at this period of his life affected other people. It, it drew other people to God as well. We, we read in chapter 14 that as Asa made these commitments, the rest of the nation of Judah got on board with him. They, 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 they participated. They, they engaged. They committed their own hearts and their own lives to God. And they came, they repented and came back to God in a powerful way. Chapter 15 recounts that even people from the other tribes, so in, in Israel's history at this time, the, the northern tribes and the southern tribes were divided after, after the reign of Solomon, uh, and the two, uh, the, uh, Israel was a divided kingdom with two different kings, and the northern tribes were made up of, uh, the northern kingdom was made up of ten tribes, and the southern kingdom was Judah and Benjamin mainly. But here we're told that because of Asa's reforms, some of the people defected, some of the people from the northern northern tribes who were given to idolatry and, and they were a, a, a 
big mess during this time when you read Israel's history of the northern tribes. And some of these people were, were drawn by Asa's reforms, drawn by Asa's commitment to God and his desire to be faithful to God and obedient to the covenant. They were so impacted by that that they decided that they would defect. They moved and they, and they came and joined him or they, they, they participated in all the things that he was doing. And so Asa's commitment to God had a much bigger impact than just on his own personal life. It affected the nation. It affected even the, the neighboring nation uh, that saw people come and join them in their commitment to Yahweh. But sadly, as we come to then chapter 16, we see that things begin to really unravel. It's interesting with, with other kings like Hezekiah and um, uh, other recorded scriptures, they often suggest a reason why those kings began to defect. Uh, with Hezekiah, it says that it was his pride. But with Asa, we're not really given an explicit reason why things changed for him. But as I read the different things that happened, the different things that characterized this latter period of his reign, I wonder if it was still the same thing, it was, if it was pride. Because I see that Asa didn't remain faithful to God. And chapter 16 records the latter years of his reign where things just go really, really bad. And we're told that, he, you know, in chapter 15, we, we were specifically told that he gathered the silver and gold and put it into the temple. And then in chapter 16, he's taking that same silver and gold to make an alliance with a pagan king. And so we see that he was relying maybe on his own resources, on what he had. And he was like, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I can do this politically. I can do this with the resources I have. Maybe. And we see that instead of turning to God to defeat the, the enemy, he's relying on a human ally. He's relying on, a, on not just another king, but a, a king who wasn't a godly king. Uh, another thing we're, we're told that when he is confronted by his sin, by this prophet, he doesn't repent. He remains defiant. He remains stubbornly committed to his sinful ways. In fact, we were told that he was so mad at this, this prophet that, that called him out on his sin. Verse 9 is such an encouraging invitation for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That same expression is, is used of Asa in chapter 15, that he was fully committed to God. And then he says, you have done a foolish thing and from now on you will be at war. There was an opportunity there for him to repent and to come back to God, but he doesn't. Instead, he throws this prophet in prison and he begins to oppress God's people. And then we're told that one of the last things that, again, in, in, in biblical theology, in this period, this idea that if you obey God, there was blessings. And if you disobey God bad things happened. There was judgment. And so this sickness in his feet that we're told about was, was kind of a judgment on his hardness of heart, on his refusal to repent. And again, God gives him another opportunity in that moment to turn to God in repentance. And I think it was Hezekiah who also had a similar situation where he was sick. And in that instance, he did repent and he does turn to God and God does heal him and restore him. But here, we're particularly told that Asa didn't do that. He was defiant, and he did not seek help from the Lord, verse 12, but only from the physicians, just relying on himself, on his own resources, on human agency. 
And I think that's just such a sad conclusion to an incredible life well lived up until that point. So what lessons can we learn from all of this? Well, the first thing I think, which is pretty obvious, that being faithful to God is not just about a good intention or a good mindset or telling yourself, I'm going to be faithful to God. It actually has to lead to action. It has to lead to you doing something and and being radically obedient. It has to do with being ruthless with sin in your life. It has to do with not having allowing any compromise in your life. It has to do with not making alliances with ungodly people or ungodly ungodly things. It has to do with maintaining purity in your heart. It has to do with making sure that your heart is fully devoted to God, dealing with your idols. It has to do with having an attitude of worship. It has to do with relying on God's resources and God's provision and God's strength and coming to God with your needs. That's what it looks like. It looks like radical obedience. That's what it means to be faithful to God. And when we come to the New Testament, we're told to continue with this idea. This is not just an Old Testament idea. Probably one of the most extreme examples of this is Matthew chapter 5, I think the reference is, where Jesus says... I want my disciples, if you want to be my disciple, to have such an extreme attitude to sin that it's like plucking out an eye or chopping off an arm. Now, I think we'd all be blind and maimed if we actually took Jesus literally. But Jesus is trying to convey this idea that following him and being faithful to him requires an extreme attitude to sin. And Jesus mentions this particularly in the context where he's talking about lust. He's saying, be extreme in your commitment against sin. And if it means that your eye is sinning because of things that you're looking at or you're watching, it's like pluck it out. It's better to enter glory without an eye than to allow sin to have its contaminating effect in your heart. Because sin will destroy you. Sin will take you out. One of the dangers we can make, as uh, the, the careless decisions we can make as Christians is to flirt with sin. To think that we're okay, that we're strong enough to handle it, that we're, we're, oh, it's just this once, or we, we make excuses, or we rationalize, or we justify, and we let it grow. And just like the kingdom of God is like leaven that grows, sin is like leaven in our heart that will continue to grow. That's why Jesus said, be ruthless. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter glory without a, without a hand than to lose your salvation, to, to, to miss out on entering the kingdom completely because you've allowed sin to harden your heart. Be extreme. You know, I want to challenge you. You know, I don't know what's really happened in our culture other than COVID being blamed for a whole lot of things. So let me go on a bit of a rant here. I don't understand why it's now suddenly really, really hard to come to church every Sunday. When I know that some of you used to come here every Sunday, what's changed for you? Why is church attendance now fortnightly or three-weekly or monthly or six-weekly? What's changed? I'm not here to convict you. I'm here to convict you, not condemn you. But I want you to ask yourself that question. What's changed? Has the scriptures changed that say, do not forsake the assembling of the saints? No. Has your passion for Jesus changed? I don't know. Only you can answer that. Are you more governed by fear of this virus that 
now we're saying we don't even have to isolate from? Like what's really going on for you that makes you now think, oh, you know what, I'll go to church every three weeks or once a month or I'll watch it from home in my pajamas because that's more convenient or com- comfortable for me. What's going on with that? Are there things that you're entertaining that you would not have entertained maybe a year ago or two years ago? Have you justified and, and rationalized little compromises in your heart and in your life that once you never would have? What has shifted? Is it time to repent and come back to God? And I'm not a prophet, but maybe this is that moment like Asa had in chapter 16 where the prophet came to him in love and said, you have an opportunity to finish well. Take it. But he didn't. And I encourage you, search your heart today. Faithfulness to God means radical obedience, means doing the right thing, means doing the will of God. That's what it means. The second thing I hope that will be an encouragement is that just like Asaphan, God will meet you in that place. You will find God. You will experience God's blessing. Now, it might not be in the same literal way because this is Old Testament covenant theology where they experienced everything physically and literally. Blessing came with rain, with peace, with rest, which are all the key words that are mentioned in this narrative, which were all representative of God keeping his end of the covenant. For us, it might not be that we will never have problems, never be sick or anything like that. But the promise is still true that if we seek God with our whole heart, we will find him. It might just look a little bit different, but we will live in God's blessing. We will live in God's peace. We will know God's joy and love in greater measure. We will experience the favor of God as we live this way. That the Bible definitely promises, Old Testament and New Testament. One example of that is in James, where James writes to the church and he's saying, you know what, when you humble yourself and you bring your heart to God in humility and you draw near to God, God draws near to you. Forget prosperity teaching. For me, that's a cool blessing. That's probably the greatest blessing we could ever want, to have God draw near to you. And it's in the context of him saying, look at your heart. Are Are you being unfaithful to God? Are you committing adultery with the world? Are you flirting with the world? That's the context. And he says, repent again. Rend your heart. Don't don't compromise. Be faithful to God. And in your repentance, as you humble yourself and as you come before God, he will meet you there. He he will give favor to the humble. His presence is real to the humble. He draws near to the humble. That's what I want for us. As a church, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for my life, for God to draw near. That's the promise. As we live faithfully, as we wholeheartedly commit ourselves to God, God will meet us in that place. And he will do amazing things in our lives as we seek him and serve him with our whole heart. The third thing, which I think is really, really cool that we can take away from this story, is that our faithfulness to God will impact other people. It will impact other people. And I I don't know about you, but as I think over my life and my ministry, I have been impacted so many times by seeing the faithfulness of God in the lives of others and seeing their faithfulness to God in the midst of difficult circumstances. That's why at PCC we love testimony times. We love hearing people's stories. We love people sharing about how God has met them and how they've grown through difficult times. Uh, 
the, the through the fire series you know I, people say how great that was for them in terms of what i shared but for me what was great is hearing people's stories to hear how they remained faithful to god in the most difficult of circumstances and they're continuing to remain faithful to god in the midst of difficult circumstances you know one of the most profound moments i had and i still remember this was when i was in sri lanka many many years ago doing ministry there and i was speaking at this church and at the end of the service i was asked to come and pray for this lady and she was there and she was crying and you know i know i'm sri lankan but i don't speak any of the languages so i had to have somebody translate for me and ask you know tell me what what was going on what how does she want me to pray and i found out that this lady her son i think her oldest son the day before had drowned on a sunday school outing that the church had organized and she was there at church that next day worshiping jesus i was like oh my goodness this is unbelievable and she just wanted me to pray for her that she would remain faithful to jesus no matter what like that that has stayed with me and i mean there's stories like you've got stories like that where there's something about people who are passionate for jesus who are totally committed to jesus who are sold out for jesus no matter what and yeah it doesn't mean they don't go through hard times doesn't mean they don't struggle doesn't mean they don't wrestle with their doubts and their no it doesn't mean any of that but they still remain faithful there's something profound about that and it impacts you and it marks you and it encourages you and it challenges you and as i read asa's story the first part i thought god i want to be like that i i want to have a life that marks people with my commitment my passion my devotion to Jesus you know Paul talked about the Thessalonian church that way and this is what he said about them he says you became imitators of us and of the lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the holy spirit and so you became listen to this a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia your faith in God has become known everywhere therefore we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven that's faithfulness whom he raised from the dead Jesus who rescues us rescues us from the coming wrath I want to be like a Thessalonian Christian where my faith in God my faithfulness to God rings out is evident that that people see not in an arrogant egotistical way but because I'm living out my faith because I am following Jesus no matter what that like the Thessalonians that it would impact other people and really that's what Jesus calls us to do that's what it means to make disciples right that's what Paul said follow my example as I follow Christ That's what it means to be a disciple maker to live such an authentic committed faithful life that somebody else says I want to be like you because you're like Jesus and you're so committed to him you love him with your whole heart you are wholeheartedly devoted to him I want to be like that to love Jesus like that and notice I didn't say perfect I didn't say not having a bad day not going through difficult seasons I said remaining faithful to Jesus because Paul says about the Thessalonians that they continue to remain faithful in the midst of severe suffering. 
That's what it means to be faithful to God. The last thing is that being faithful to God means finishing well. means being faithful to the end. It means sticking it out in the, in the mountaintops, in the valleys, in the good days, in the bad days, in the day, in the night. It's remaining faithful to Jesus. In the book of Revelation, as with many parts of Scripture, is written to Christians who were going through really, really difficult times and who were at risk at giving up on Jesus, who were at risk of turning away or walking away. And particularly the letters to the churches um, in, in chapters two, three, 2 and 3, over and over again, Jesus himself is calling on these churches to remain faithful, to not give up, to not put up with false teaching, to, to not excuse sexual immorality among them and to remain victorious, and to overcome, and to persevere. Those themes are repeated over and over again in every letter to the churches. Well, I want to just read you one particular section, which is the letter written to the church in Theatara. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Theatara write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance. There's that idea. And that you are now doing more than you did at first. Now I say to the rest of you in Theatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. That's referring to a false teaching that had crept into the church. Mm -hmm. I will not impose any other burden on you and accept, accept this. This is the key word. Hold on to what you have until I come. Notice what it doesn't say. When that is. How long we have to hold on. Jesus just says, keep doing what you're doing. Keep holding on to the doctrine. Keep holding on to the truths of my word. Keep holding on and persevering until I come. He goes on. It says this, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. See, friends, it's one thing to start well, but it's another thing to finish well. Many in Scripture, many in Scriptures have started off so well, just not finished. Was it pride? In a lot of cases, yes. Was it compromise? In a lot of cases, yes. Was it not being ruthless with sin? Yes. Were there other things, other factors that contributed? Yeah, absolutely. Suffering, persecution. Remember the parable Jesus told about the sower? Only one group of seed finished well, produced a harvest. The other, one was corrupted by the cares of this world, just getting choked out. The other, it was persecution. It was hard things. It was difficult things that killed the seed of the kingdom of God in their heart. Being faithful to God means finishing well. And the good news for us as Christians is that you know, while this is challenging and difficult, and maybe, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to I encourage you today. And maybe you look at your life and you go, man, my life is such a train wreck. I'm just a failure when it comes to God. I don't feel worthy. Maybe you're sitting here you know, thinking, I, I, don't, I really shouldn't even be church. I'm glad you're here because church is for people like you and for me. Messed up people who look at God's holiness and think there's no way I can live that way. There's no way I can measure up. There's no way I can maintain that standard. Absolutely true. And we don't have to in the sense that Jesus does it for us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says this incredible thing. He's, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. But here it is. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. In your, on your worst day, when you feel like you're a terrible Christian or a terrible person, thank God for Jesus, because he remained faithful to the end. He completely obeyed the will of the Father. He completely did everything right. He was perfect in every way he lived. And when he saw the cross, he didn't turn away from it. Even in the garden, when he was there, he was facing the reality of it. And he was wrestling and struggling. The Father comes and meets him in that space and, he, and strengthens him to face the cross. But he didn't quit. He didn't give up. He remained faithful. And because of his absolute faithfulness you and i stand here today recipients of god's grace recipients of god's forgiveness recipients of god's kindness and even on your worst day you can count on jesus being faithful to you and so this morning if you're not yet a believer if you're not a follower of jesus i encourage you at the end of this service reach out whether it's online whether you're outside whether you're in here Please come and, and allow us to pray with you if you would really like to receive God's forgiveness and be made right with Him. But for us as Christians, the gospel is also good news. It's good news because in Romans 8, we're reminded that Jesus is praying for us. As we try to think about, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can remain faithful. I don't know if I can, I can live the way you want me to. The good news is that Jesus is for you. He's not against you. He's not sitting there condemning you and judging you, not waiting there with a stick, to waiting till you get it wrong to beat you over your head and go, yeah, you failed again. No, he's there on the throne, triumphant, victorious, resurrected, sovereign God, praying for you praying for you, interceding for you. And in 1 John 1, 9, we're promised that not only that, he's praying that we would remain faithful, but he knows that we're not going to always be faithful, that we'll mess up, that we'll get it wrong, that we'll fail, that we'll sin, we'll disobey. And in that moment, he is the faithful advocate, the faithful high priest who is ready and willing and eager to forgive us and cleanse us. These are the promises of God that we can hold on to. And then in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says that it is God that's at work in you. And he will finish that work. He will bring that work to completion on the day of Christ. Even if you struggle and you find it hard to remain faithful, God will remain faithful to do his good work in your heart. And then in Philippians chapter 2, Paul marries those two ideas. And he says, you know, as you do your part, as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, God will be at work in your heart to conform you to do his will. And then in 1 Thessalonians, there's this incredible promise. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. That's holiness language. That's faithfulness to the end language. Through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Christian, I've got good news for you. If you look at yourself and you go, I see a lot more of Acer in me than I would like. The good news is that God is at work in you. Jesus is at work in you. He's given you the Holy Spirit to conform you to the image of Jesus. He's at work and He will remain faithful in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your failures, in the midst of your sin and your compromise. He will keep calling you to repent, absolutely. He will not, never excuse it. We're back to pluck out your eye and chop out your hand. But as you do that, as you set your heart to seek the Lord, as you wholeheartedly devote yourself to Him, you will find Him. 
And you will find that he's there, already there in your heart, working to fulfill his will and his purpose in your life. That you would be like his son and be with him forever. As I conclude this service and this message, I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, I want to do a physical activity. I want all of you to stand. And as I say different things, I want you to sit down. So this is like an old youth group activity that we used to do. Go back to youth ministry days. Yeah, hands and heads. Heads and tails now. If you've been following Jesus for less than five years, sit down. Less than five years. Cool. If you've been following Jesus less than 10 years, sit down. Cool. If you've been following Jesus less than 20 years, sit down. Less than 30. Oh, okay. Less than 40. Less than 50. 60. Seventy. All right, can I get the, the last four? Can I, can I get you guys to stand? Eunice, you too. This is amazing. We, we should celebrate this. Why don't you give them a huge hand? Stay standing. Can somebody grab that other microphone? I want you guys to just share with us one thing that has helped you remain faithful to Jesus for that long. One thing. I was born in a Christian family. I went to a Christian school. And from the day I can remember myself, my mom, who was my mentor in those times, encouraged me no end in the walk with Jesus. And I have every single day of my life, thanks to her, as I can remember reading, I have read the scriptures, I have said my prayers, and it's my mom. I have to thank for this journey. Okay, so encouragement from somebody else and being in in scriptures and in prayer. Yep, Dad. Well, mine is not much different. My mother was the main source behind my... Mothers, you got a lot of work to do. You know, right from from, uh, birth, sort of. She's the one right through matured us in the... Even when we were working, even when we were uh, 25, 30 years old, you could not, she could not keep us, keep us out of being in Christ's Christ, uh, ways. So that was ingrained in us right from the start. Mm. So that was what keep, kept us going. Mm. Kevin? Now, my, my dad sat down after 70, but he should not be sitting down. He's 88 years old. And I asked him this question this week because I knew I was going to do this. I said, how long have you been following Jesus? He goes, all my life. So you should be standing for 88. (laughs) Your maths is a bit wild. Kevin. If it was just one thing. Oh, a couple of things then. And I'm going to take a license here. If it was just one thing, it would have to be Jesus. Yes. Because life goes on, life goes up and down. Jesus does not. Mm. And to be able to come back from whatever point and call out to him and, mm. be, and know that there's the open welcome. That has to be the point. Yep. But contributing factors, yep. yeah, I thank God that I'm a third generation, first generation Christian. I'm not good at math, it's okay. Don't hold me guilty. But my family heritage 
I'm at least third generation right. radical Christian, early Pentecostals in, in Australia. My grandfather got kicked out of the, the, the Brethren Church and the Baptist Church on the same day <laughs> because he attended a Pentecostal church midweek. But, uh, so, but I, that's third generation. How come first? Mm. First generation? Because especially my mum, when as kids growing up, Mum, why do we have to do this as Christians? Mm. She'd say, don't ask questions now. Get in the car. We're going to church. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Bring him to church. But I'll answer your question later. Yeah. And she did. Yeah. Even with eight kids in the family. Um, now, you asked why we go to church every Sunday. Sit down. Let's have a talk about this. Mm. And so it became very personal. Yeah first generation because mm. it was explained yeah, great. to me and I so thank God for the, the convolution yeah. of all of that. Excellent. Eunice? I knew Kevin's mum <laughs> and that'd be right. <laughs> I think for me it's God's faithfulness. Mm. Um when things go wrong, he was the one I could rely on. And uh, the comfort and strength mm. got from him. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. So summarizing all of that, Jesus, keep your heart soft to Jesus always. And there will be times when there'll be things that happen that threaten that, where your heart might grow cold. Keep your heart soft with Jesus. Walk closely with him. For parents, the incredible power, opportunity you have to disciple your children into their 20s, not just when they're little, to have good conversations, to explain your faith, to share your story, to encourage, to challenge when needed, but the incredible role you play. And beyond that, for us as a church, not just parents and kids, but older Christians, with younger Christians, where we encourage one another, we disciple one another, we strengthen one another, as the scriptures call us to. Really, really good things. Relying on Jesus when it's hard, like Asa did the first time, but not the second time, where we keep coming to God and say, God, I desperately need you. In other words, walking humbly with him. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. And let me just lead us in, in praying and I'm praying a, a prayer of surrender and, and I, I trust that this will be your prayer as well. Father God, we, we want to be faithful followers of Jesus and we want to be faithful to the end, whether that might be when Jesus returns or when we die and go to be with you. Father, may we be like we've already looked at Watching, waiting, working, dressed in white, ready for our coming king, our bridegroom, who is returning to take us to be with him. May we pursue you wholeheartedly. May we obey you faithfully. May we use the, the gifts and the talents that you've given us. May we be good stewards of all that you've entrusted us. And may we continue the mission that you've given us, Jesus, to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. 
Help us, Lord, to remain faithful. Give us your Holy Spirit. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to keep coming to you, Jesus, over and over again with our broken sinfulness, with our failures, with our disappointments. May we keep coming to you and relying on you when we are overwhelmed by life and circumstances. May we as a community be there for each other to encourage and support and strengthen one another. May we not neglect gathering together because we are called to encourage and love one another. Help us, Lord, together to remain faithful to you until you return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and fill you with his glory. And may you walk and abide in the presence of Jesus all this week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.